Hello, everyone. Before we get started here, I just wanted to take a second to address the protests that are going on right now. You know, we've been doing our best to educate ourselves and learn about the systemic racism that is going on in our country and then trying to figure out the best ways that we can to support uh, the the movement. Yeah, definitely. And I think both of us have kind of had our eyes open to absolutely, you know, a lot of things that we were really unaware of and, and what's going on. Um, you know, in the... And what has been going on. Yeah, exactly. So I think, you know, we, we want to do whatever we can to kind of show our support for the Black Lives Matter movement and just kind of encourage everyone else to continue to educate yourself. And, you know, we need to take action, I think. Mm-hmm. You're listening to this podcast. You obviously like podcasts. If if you go on Apple Podcasts, they have a whole section on Black Lives Matter related to podcasts. So suggest listening to some of those. Um, and just, you know, we all just need to continue to educate ourselves and, and do whatever we can to help. Yes. All right. So now on to the show. Welcome to the Enchanted Ears podcast, where we discuss anything and everything Disney. I'm Angela. And I'm Joe. And on today's episode, we're going to be doing another edition of our Disney decade. We're going to be diving into the 1970s. So we're getting slowly closer to current day. Um, (laughs) So it's pretty good. And I think, you know, overall, the, the 1970s, and we will get into this in more detail, but I think overall, the 1970s I don't want to call it a lost year fully because a lot, a lost lot of 10 years, a lot of good stuff. Yeah. Lost decade. A lot of good stuff did happen, but it, it kind of was a, a down year in the history of the company. Right. So, and, and we will get into that, but, but before we do uh, kind of go over some Disney news. So last week, you know, we talked about the reopening and Disney continues to kind of trickle more information out about that. I think, you know, we're still waiting to determine, how the reservation systems are going to go work in Disney World, what hotels are going to open and when, and we're still kind of waiting for that information. But uh, some other news that had come out over the past few weeks that we didn't get to talk about last week because of the reopening was uh, some major management changes. So Kevin Mayer, who was head of Disney's streaming service, so Disney Plus, uh, Hulu, ESPN, he actually left to go to TikTok. What? So he became CEO. Of, He's of, dancing all the time now. Yeah, he became CEO of TikTok, and he was actually one that was uh, rumored to be in line for the Disney CEO spot. So I think it kind of makes sense that whenever Bob Chapek got the job, he went to find something else because he knew he was never going to become CEO. Mm-hmm. And you know, I read in an article uh, from Deadline because his replacement is Rebecca Campbell. So she's taking over the direct to consumer and international. Uh, division and she actually started very much like Bob Iger in the the networks. So she's very much more operationally focused. So she kind of started in local news and TV networks and worked her way up. And they actually said that you know Kevin Mayer he made a name for himself in the strategic planning group of Disney, but he never really had a lot of operational experiences. So while to outsiders it seems strange that Bob Chapek maybe was chosen over him it made a lot more sense internally because he didn't have the operational background. Hmm. So she has a, a much more operational background, so she'll be taking over. And then it was actually announced that Josh DeMauro, 
I believe I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. He actually uh, was named to replace Bob Chapek as chairman of Disney Parks Experiences and Products. And he actually most recently was president of Walt Disney World for, I want to say, like a year. And he was president of Disneyland before that. So he has a lot of parks experience. And I, I believe he is you know, very well liked from cast members. I think everybody really liked him at, at Disneyland. And then I know when he was at Disney World, he was frequently in the parks you know, for the short time he was there. So I think him taking over, you know, Chapex role makes a lot of sense. So the other uh, piece of news to talk about is that there is a rumored Kingdom Hearts series coming to <laughs> Disney Plus. And it, it sounds like I think, you know, they've talked about this before, but it, it sounds like it's much more serious. And, you know, they're currently doing casting for it. So I think that may be a series that we see um, soon coming to Disney Plus. I know, you play the Kingdom Hearts games, Angela. We actually did an episode mm-hmm. when the third, the third game came yeah, out. Yeah, it's the third game. So yeah, I, I'm I'm unsure of this because I feel like the exciting part of the Kingdom Hearts series is the fact that you get to interact with Disney characters and you get to go to these different worlds. So I'm not really sure. I the story itself I didn't find so appealing. Um, so I am curious what that would look like as a series. Cause I think they're going to have to do some sprucing up when you're not actually playing with the characters. You're not playing with Mickey or Goofy or whatever. Um, so it, it, it's an interesting idea. From what I know about the game, I, I do think it could be a, a pretty interesting story because as you said, it, it crosses multiple Disney stories. I mean, there's a bit of a fantasy, action element to the game so because it, it's a mix of essentially final fantasy and disney mm-hmm. you know ask so i think it, it would be very interesting to see a story like that and just the fact that they could literally almost pull in any property uh, and it fits because that's what they do in the games so i think you could have you know some interesting stories you know they they talked about that they are casting they're looking for the the voice talent, but you know, in the video game, Haley Joe Osment voices the main character, so I think it makes sense to have him voice yeah voice him as well in, in this animated series. And I'm not sure you know who else they get may flesh out some of the additional characters, but I, I think it'd be pretty interesting. Mm, yeah, it, it it has potential. Yeah, I've never played the game. I, I've watched you play it a little bit, but I would be interested in seeing uh, the series on Disney Plus. I would watch it, and and I think they could do some potential interesting storylines that could get some people hooked yeah i i think that it disney plus has done really good jobs with with what they've done so i think that you know i'm a little hesitant because i feel like if i can play a game versus watch something i'd rather play it i'd rather have that active role in it but you know there's probably there's a lot more they can also do that's different if if they put it in a tv show format all right, so on to our, our main topic. And if you haven't heard our previous episode, so we've we started in the 1920s when the Walt Disney Company started, but each of these episodes for the Disney decade, we take 10 years of the company's history at a time. So if you haven't heard our previous ones, you know, go back and, and check those out. So we've done from the 20s, you know, up through the end of the 1960s, and then this episode will be covering the 1970s, which, like I said, you know, I think the 50s and 60s were pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a lot going on. The I 70s. Mean, that's when the parks really came came about. The 70s is a little bit of a downtime. Right. And, and you do have uh, Walt Disney World opening, the Magic Kingdom at least, in 1971. But, you know, other than that, there's th- this decade is really kind of in the shadow of Walt's death. 
at the end of the 60s. So right. so Walt passed away in 1966 and you know really it it seemed like in the 70s they were they were kind of just trying to figure out well, what is this company? How do we continue to move forward without Walt? Yeah, and then of course, you know, Roy was still behind, left behind and Roy was instrumental in getting Disney World up and running, but then in 1971 Roy also died. So you had both Disney brothers passing away within a relatively short period of time and close to each other. So yeah, the company's pretty much left reeling from that. Right. You know, as as I kind of said, so I mean, with that, I think the 70s is not really a huge time of growth for the companies. I mean, a lot did happen, but there was a lot of struggles. And then you kind of really see that as it leads into the 80s, because I think, you know, what happened in the 70s and, and just because, you know, Walt's death and Roy's death were so sudden, I don't necessarily know that they had, and this is just kind of as an outsider's perspective, that they had a, a great management plan yeah. going forward. And so then that leads into some of the stuff in the 80s when, when you see Michael Eisner taking over. And so... And then in you know the 90s, obviously, everything kind of picks back up. But it, it just is interesting of kind of what happened. So I do think that they had a little bit of a secession plan. Uh, Ron Miller, which was who was married to Diane Disney, um, so that would be Walt's son-in-law, was in the process of trying to rise up through the company. Yeah, he actually started. It's interesting. He played professional football, so he played for the LA Rams. And he only played two games um, <laughs> because... Uh, his second game he got knocked out and Walt told him at least this is how the story goes Walt told him you know I don't want to be the father to your children you like you better quit playing football like I I don't want you dying out there essentially why don't you come work for me and that's kind of how he got his start at at the Walt Disney Company and and like you said I mean from that time you know through the 70s he was influential in a lot of their movies and, and he kind of rose through the company right um and th- that's funny because there's another story about uh you know ron was trying to he like he d- he thought about maybe even going into acting and walt also squelched that so it's almost like walt had this plan um for him and wanted to make sure that the the company stayed in the family so this guy definitely kind of had his life a little bit controlled <laughs> um I mean, I'm sure that it worked out, I'm sure, for him, but... Yeah, and, and Ron really didn't take over until the 80s. Right. So throughout the 70s, you know, he was not in charge. And really, we'll get into it in the 80s, but he wasn't necessarily the most effective CEO. And, and it makes sense, though, because it sounds like it wasn't really a position he ever wanted. I mean, that's me editorializing for him, but it sounds like he, he didn't maybe want it. Yeah, so who actually, you know, took over... Uh, it was Don Tatum. Uh, he was uh, CEO for a while immediately after Roy. And he was actually the first non-family member ever uh, who was president of Walt Disney Productions. So he took over after Roy. And then uh, Card Walker was also uh, high up in the company. He actually became CEO as well uh, after Don retired and right before Ron. So, you know, like I said, their names have- are Don and Ron. Yeah. <laughs> So, so you have a couple of people taking over. And like you mentioned, you know, Roy died in 1971, a few months uh, after, uh, shortly after uh, Disney World opened. So right around the same time. And to your point, you know, he, he saw that vision through. And I think they even talked about this on the Imagineering story mm-hmm. on Disney Plus that Roy, and we've talked about it before, Roy was always kind of the financial guy. He was right. never the creative vision guy. And when... When Walt died, he then had to take over all those decisions because the Florida project was kind of already in motion by 64, 65. So they'd already purchased a lot of land. 
So he had to take over a lot of those decisions of just every little detail that Walt would have would have taken. And they, they said they think it take it took too much out of him. And that just like once he was done, it was kind of like, okay, my work is complete. I saw Walt's vision through and and you know, and he, sh- he passed away shortly afterwards. I mean, it, it, you know, they, they kind of talked about that of, of how it seemed almost too coincidental of, of how close, you know, those were. But, hmm. but, but yeah, with, with 1971, so right at the beginning of the decade, Walt Disney World does open. I will say the original ticket prices, um, so it was $3.50. <laughs> this is going to be com- comical. Yeah, $3.50 for general admission for an adult. Oh, my gosh. And uh, – Children twelve to seventeen were two dollars and fifty cents, and then three to eleven was a dollar. Now that was general admission, so this was still back in the day when the new, we when you had to buy ticket books. Okay. And this is kind of where the term e-ticket attraction comes from. So a lot of people hear that whenever you know Disney is building a new ride, a new like major ride, like whenever they built Rise of the Resistance. You know, you hear a lot of people talking about that's their new e-ticket attraction so this goes back to the ticket book days where you had rides that were a b c d and e and if you've ever been to a carnival it may it, it's like that they had certainly you know certain rides cost more tickets than other rides yeah so so the the higher you got up in the alphabet the more the tickets cost so those were obviously you know the better rides so like it's a small world was an e-ticket the haunted mansion was an e-ticket so those were the most expensive tickets because those were the best rides so that's where that term comes from hmm. so even though we don't have those kind of ticket books anymore we still have that terminology. So yeah, so general admission was pretty cheap, but in true Disney fashion, it only took them a year to raise prices. So <laughs> in 1972, they were already raising prices for Disney World and I think pretty much continued to do it every year after that. Wow. Do you know what the price, the first price raise was? Yeah, it, I mean, it wasn't much. I mean, I guess on $3.50, it was a lot. It was about 25 cents they raised it so a little under 10 percent. i mean i guess it was a a decent you know price increase yeah um so yeah so you know they continued to raise prices by the end of the decade uh general admission tickets were around seven dollars so almost doubled in uh you know in in 10 years i was anticipating more so that's actually not too bad (laughs) you know disney world was the big addition in the 70s and like we said it the idea came in the early 60s for walt because he realized that only 2% of the guests at Disneyland came from east of the Mississippi. Oh. So immediately as he saw that, he decided... There's a market that's open. Exactly. So he started looking at places east of the Mississippi. He looked at you know St. Louis, New York, um, Washington, D.C. And a lot of those places, I think, were good locations. But they said, look, you can't have a park here all year round. Right. So Too cold. Exactly. So he found a lot of land in Florida and you know bought thousands of acres of land for like ridiculously cheap prices well, he bought it on like under shell companies too yeah he definitely he, you know he tried to keep it a secret as long as he could to get the prices as as low as he could so that's why you know disney world they have so much land there but but you know magic kingdom did really well and so they started you know then looking at into the mid 70s looking at epcot which was another one of walt's visions but he kind of envisioned it more as a community Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they definitely took that idea and they did twist it. I know that there's a lot of different opinions about this too. Some people are kind of frustrated that Epcot turned out the way it did because it is absolutely nothing like what Walt had envisioned. But I think that they really, almost, it's almost like they wanted to take that idea from It's a Small World and kind of expand it. Yeah, and really, 
you know, it, it, Walt had the idea for a community, a separate town, but I don't think, you know, after his death and after Roy's death, there was nobody in the company that I think had that same passion for it. Mm-hmm. And that would have been a huge undertaking and some something that Disney had never done before. And right. so I think they, they kind of said, hey, look, we can't do this. But they did, you know, design Epcot. Now, that broke ground at the end of the decade. So 1979, it will open in the early 80s after... It was the most expensive construction project at the time, over a billion dollars by the time it was built. But but they did, you know, start that expansion as well. So, you know, it's interesting because we have, you know, there's so many Disney parks across the world now that it's it's strange to think that it wasn't until, you know, up until 1981 or so, there was only two Disney parks in the whole world. There was one in California, one in Florida, and now you have... You have them, California, Florida have both have multiple parks. You have Paris, Tokyo, Shanghai, Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. You know, just to think in in forty years how much they have expanded when yeah. in the first thirty years or so after the the first park opened, they only added like one or two more parks. Right. After yeah, they've that. become so, massive now. Yeah. So it, it it is pretty interesting to see. Although I still think they should build one in Australia. <laughs> I feel like there was talk of that. I, I mean, think there was. I think Disney has pretty much explored building parks everywhere. I mean, there's talk that they're looking at India now as potentially the next expansion. I think they have looked at Australia. I think the problem is it takes too long to get there and nobody's going to go. I mean, it's all about population density. Like you look at, you look at Shanghai and there are 300 million people that live within a three hour train ride Mm -hmm. of Shanghai Disneyland, which is a crazy number. So you know, that's what they're kind of looking for. And I think that's, it makes sense why that park did so well its first year. You know, I think it it did 10 plus million visitors, but it's because there's such a huge number of people that can easily access it. The same way Walt saw, there's a ton of people coming to Disneyland, but nearly all of them are coming from west of the Mississippi. Let me build something East Coast and now look how popular that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, so they're not going to be building in Antarctica anytime soon. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think Antarctica. Yeah, it's got to be it's got to be nice kind of all year round generally. I mean, it it gets I think colder and and rainy in Paris and but they they can stay open all year round. Tokyo yeah. a little bit, you know, some rain, but yeah, not not Antarctica. <laughs> that would be an interesting one though. Else it's Elsa's exclusive park. They could do that. They could build just a special frozen theme park in Antarctica that only like it basically Well, you can only go to Antarctica in like how many a couple months a year, right? And yeah, if you so, if you're there and you, you can get stuck there too, because like boats can't come in. Most of the guests would just be penguins. <laughs> Good job. You picked the correct animal. There penguins in the South Pole and polar bears in the North Pole. Yeah. So they, they could just have a park exclusively for penguins. <laughs> I think I think that makes a lot of sense. So, in addition to the theme parks, I mean, Disney still did produce movies. They had animated movies. So the Aristocats is one of them. We actually just recently did an episode on this a few weeks ago, kind mm-hmm. of rewatching this one. In addition to that, they had uh, Robin Hood, Pete's Dragon. We got uh, the Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh in 1977, and The Rescuers. So there were some very popular movies that still came out in this decade that mm-hmm. I think are considered classics. I mean, I mean the original Freaky Friday, which is a, uh, it came out. Yeah. Live. A- yeah. We're, we're not even getting into live yeah. action yet, but 
But yeah, if you look at just the animated, the Aristocats is a very popular one. I mean, Winnie the Pooh, I think, is probably the most popular out of all of these movies that came out, I would say. I mean, he has, at least in terms of, of I think, theme park and, and lasting impact. I mean, Winnie the Pooh has had multiple movies and TV shows after this. He has a lot of rides in the theme park. Whereas, I, you know, they, they redid Peach Dragon, but I don't think that has as like a big a following you yeah. know, as, as some of these other ones. So I think Winnie the Pooh is probably the most notable one. Also, um, something that is notable that Disney didn't do in the 70s is they passed on this young upstart man uh, who wanted to make a, uh, a movie, a science fiction film that was, you know, like kind of like space opera. Um, I think his name was George Lucas. So they passed on him. <laughs> and then it cost him $4 billion. Yes, was, it did. That was their... Their four billion dollar mistake. Yeah. So passing on. Yeah, I mean it's interesting, and, and we kind of talked about Ron Miller, and really, Ron in the seventies rose through the company through movies. Right. Yeah. So he, he produced a lot of them. Yeah. So he produced Pete's Dragon, and then also a lot of live action movies. So he pr- he produced Escape to Witch Mountain and Freaky Friday. Yeah, which are two pretty popular movies. I mean, Freaky Friday, I didn't realize was a Disney movie originally. To, yeah, to, to start and then they remade it they again remade. in the, was it the 90s or early 2000s? That blends together. Because it, it was with um, Jamie Lee Curtis and, and Lindsay, Lindsay Lohan. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it was around that time. Escape to Witch Mountain uh, must have done well because then in, so that came out in 1975. In 1978, you had the sequel, a Return from Witch Mountain. So, <laughs> so that one, that one must have done well. Um, and also, I know the the black hole came out in, I believe, 79, right. which and, was a, a science fiction type movie. Right. And that's Disney's kind of answer to Star Wars. I mean, it had been in production for a while, and it the story changed hands a lot. But basically, it was their it was their first PG movie. Um, so it was live action, first PG movie, and it came out to mixed reviews and a bad box office. So it did not have near the success that it's. Um, I don't know. It's in, part of its inspiration had, you know, Star Wars. Yeah. And, and like you mentioned, I mean, that was our first PG movie. You know, one of the things Ron Miller is credited with is being more of a kind of visionary and, and more pushing the creative medium similar to what Walt did. Whereas, you know, Walt tried a lot of things and invented a lot of techniques around animation and sound. You know, Ron tried to push the mold a little bit. So you have your PG movie mm-hmm. in the eighties. I, I know again, we're kind of bleeding into decades a little bit, but some of this crosses over, you know, he launched touchstone pictures and, and was pushing for, and he was kind of the driving force behind movies like Tron where, you, mm-hmm. where you're using computer animation into movies. So he was much more willing to try things. And I think that's, you know, kind of why you see they did their first PG movie because you have this new management team that again are trying to figure out what is the Walt Disney Company. You know, does it work? Do we make PG movies? Don't we? And I, I think the the lack of box office success of that movie kind of also led them to Touchstone Pictures because they realized people when they hear Disney they think right. cartoons, animation, they think G movies, and so they needed different kind of production labels so that you weren't mm-hmm. you had a different expectation and they could release things. Yeah, I think that a lot of people really struggled with that PG rating too. I mean, there are a lot of people who had a lot to say about the fact that oh, well, I've come to rely on this company 
to produce, you know, something that I could take my kids to see. And now what are you doing? Why are you putting out a movie that's PG and I might not be able to take my kid to? Right. And, and the great thing, you know, kind of going back to Disney Plus is these movies are all available now. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. another one on this list is The Apple Dumpling Gang, which was a, a live action comedy Western that was released in 1975. And I know that there was a a sequel to that. And I mean, it, it starred some big names, you know, Don Knotts, Tim Conway, and they had a sequel as well. And we talked about this whenever, you know, Disney plus first came out and we we're looking at some of the it's- older movies that came out and, you know, kind of talking about just like their plot synopsis and what are some interesting things to watch. And I know this was one of them we saw just because it's got such a funny name, the apple dumpling gang. Yeah. And then, and then the sequel, the peach cobbler kids. <laughs> I don't think that's the sequel. <laughs> well, I'm going to retrospectively give them the idea and sell it to them. I think it's like the apple dumpling gang rides again. For some reason that's sticking in my mind, but if, if that's I mean, wrong, I'm sure it is peach, pretty sticky. Peach, peach cobbler kids. <laughs> <laughs> makes sense so yeah so i mean you can you can go back and watch all these movies i mean i think it it would be interesting like to see the original freaky friday or it actually starred jodie foster the original freaky friday so you yeah. are a savant like this is incredible the apple dumpling gang rides again you are correct good thank job you. thank you yeah so i think you know it'll be interesting to kind of go back and and watch some of these movies and, and see see what they were like, you know, from the seventies and mm-hmm. like go back. I, I've heard a lot about the black hole. I think that's one we, we should put on our list and watch. Cause I, I have heard a lot of people mentioning that. Um, and I think maybe as time has gone on, maybe people are a little bit more favorable to it or kind of, you look at it with some nostalgia. I'm it has. Sure. So I checked it out before we recorded it and it has a pretty unfavorable rotten tomatoes score. It has a 39% score on rotten tomatoes. So I don't know if that's something we want to check out. I think we still want to watch it. I think it's still worth worth checking out. So, because like I said, I have heard of that one before. Some of these other ones I I have not heard of, but I definitely have heard of that one before. So maybe we'll have to add that to our list, and we can do an episode on it and let, give everybody a little bit of a recap and, and tell them if it's worth watching or not. So <laughs> maybe that's a future episode. We'll have to make a note of that. So all right, thanks everybody uh, again for listening. I think that kind of wraps it up this week with the 1970s, and you know, like we said, it it, it was a bit of a transitional decade. Um, Mm -hmm. for Disney. And I will say it becomes a driving force when we get into the next 20 or 30 years. I mean, the eighties, nineties, two thousands, there's a lot of exciting stuff going on. Yeah, I was going to say there's some steam that gets picked up there. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm actually looking forward to the next decade in the eighties because there's, uh, you know, corporate takeover bids. There's, (laughs) you know, boardroom drama and the beginning of the Disney Renaissance. Yes, right, right at the end, right, mm-hmm. and it, it it all kind of you know leads into everything, and then you're right. The '90s is a is a huge I mean, decade of expansion. Fire. Yeah, so <laughs> so it, the, the next you know couple episodes I think are going to be really good. So um, we'll this to, one uh, kind of trash, but the next couple no, will no, be great. <laughs> no, I'm saying I'm saying this what to talk about. You know, it, there's no, a lot right. of really interesting and exciting stuff happening. So, but I think this was was interesting as well, just uh, of kind of what went on it. And like I said, there were still a lot of good movies that came out that are Disney classics. And I think that goes to show you that no matter what the company's doing, they're still making, you know, great movies mm-hmm. no matter who's kind of in charge. So, all right. So, you know, thanks everybody again for listening this week. Make sure you leave us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast. We really appreciate it. You can check us out on social media or uh, enchanted ears on Facebook or enchanted ears podcast on instagram also check out our youtube enchanted ears we we post new videos uh, out there each week 
Thanks for lending us your ears. All right, we'll see you here next Monday. Bye.